All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. morning everybody welcome on a monday before we started this podcast tim tim and i were saying where do we start today where do, where do we start this podcast do you want you want to start with just a heavy hitter and we're going to because gosh what else can we talk about it's the oilers flames it's the battle of alberta and we were just going through and maybe i'm bearing the lead here tim and we're just gonna go out with all the heavy hitter stuff right away but Connor McDavid, the guy is unbelievable. Tim saw a tweet earlier this this weekend, probably. Sidney Crosby won the Conn Smythe Trophy in 2015-2016 with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He was 28 years old. He wins the Conn Smythe. The Conn Smythe. MVP of the playoffs. He had six goals and 13 assists for 19 points. Conn Smythe. Connor McDavid, to date, has 23 points. He has six goals and 17 assists. He has 23 points, everybody. He has 23 points in 10 games. Just let that sink in. That's absolutely incredible. Over the last 10 years, all of the Conn Smythe trophies, only three have scored more than 23 points. Justin Williams in 13-14 had 25 Crosby and Ovechkin, back-to-back years, 16, 17, 17, 18, had 27. And every other year, Connor McDavid is the leading point scorer in the whole playoffs, and he's only played 10 games. We're not even halfway through the second round, everybody. This is incredible. I thought the Calgary Flames would be able to contain him. I said all he has to do is just limit him to three points. They can't. They can't do it. He is unstoppable. The first line with McDavid, Dreinsidel, and Kane, they have absolutely changed how I think about hockey nowadays. I thought it was a team game. I thought if you could shut down the other team's first line or limit them, you'd be able to win. You'd have the advantage for the next three lines. You would would be able to overcome the massive advantage that that first line has. It's not happening, Tim. That line has single-handedly turned this series around 
Now Edmonton goes into game four with a 2-1 lead. They're making Jakob Markstrom a Vesna Trophy candidate. How many shutouts did Markstrom get this year? Ten? He had a bunch. Something like, yeah, eight or nine. A very strong goaltender. These are Markstrom's, Markstrom's stats. Game one, save percentage, 882. Game two, save percentage, 875. Game three, save percentage, 786. For a grand total of a three-game average of 853. This is a Calgary Flames team that prides itself on being a good defensive team. It's a Daryl Sutter coach team. Everybody knows what that means. This is a team that set records this year for shutouts and goals against and was just a well-rounded team. This is the team that I thought was built for Stanley Cup parade. The Red Mile is going to be rocking. Connor McDavid is single-handedly making everybody look like a fool because he's so incredibly good and unstoppable. It's impressive what he's doing. I hope we are all aware of this. It's amazing, Tim. It's absolutely amazing. He is single-handedly making Evander Kane millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Because if you think Evander Kane is this good, you got another thing coming. Evander Kane is good, don't get me wrong. He ain't this good. Guy gets a hat trick last game. All three of his goals combined traveled a total of one foot. That's it. He gets put in a position where all he has to do is tap it in. A la Happy Gilmore, Vander Kane, before the game, Connor comes up to him and whispers in his ear, just tap it in, Evander. And that's what Evander's doing. Got to give him props. He puts up a hattie. Fans go crazy. Oilers look like a different team from game one. Markstrom has looked the exact same all series long. There's a lot of question marks in Calgary right now. Let's dig into it, Tim. What have you thought of this series? Because I am absolutely shocked. I'm honestly shocked. I thought Calgary was just going to roll after game one. Then all of a sudden, Friday and Sunday happen, and it's a completely different series. Edmonton has all the momentum. They look like a team that's destined for the Stanley Cup. What has happened over the last 48 hours to change my my perception of this team? Everybody. Is it just Connor McDavid? Have we just completely undersold him? Because he's doing things that I – I don't know how to quantify how good this guy is. Like he's got every time he gets the puck, the moves he makes, I'm sorry. I'm, I, you want to jump in. I'm just going through my mind, the Rolodex of plays that Connor McDavid does during the game. that it's like, no one else on earth can do that play. No one else on earth. And everybody knows he's going to do it. And everybody's trying to stop him and you can't stop him. It's unbelievable what he's doing in game two, Zadora for whatever reason, Tries to body him up when it's four on four. It's a tie game. Zadorov goes for the hit. He just falls on his ass. And Zadorov is six foot four, 230 pounds. And McDavid shrugs him off like he's nothing. McDavid is strong. He's powerful. He's skilled. He's unbelievable. And he goes in and gets the rebound goal and it bombs away. Edmonton wins the game. It's crazy, Tim. All right. Take it away. Oh man, that's a tough, that's a tough act to follow. I mean, even that second goal, uh, sorry, the game in goal two, the goal in game two, see, you've been talking for so long. I forgot how to do it. That goal in game two where McDavid rolls off the hit, passes it back to Duncan Keith and he gets the, that pass right back to him and he gets the yeah. ball alone in front of the net. He makes it look easy. It looks like a play that anyone could do. He was moving full speed and he had way less room than, than you realize. There was a hard pass he took. That it was, might as well have been an egg. He was so soft and easy on his hand. And then just quickly does it. That's not a play, like you said, a lot of guys can make. And I think we knew coming into this postseason, like 
Okay, they're going to score their goals. They're going to get their points. McDavid, Drysaddle, the Oilers. They're going to win some games, win a round. Maybe that's it. Maybe a second round. You'll get to a point where they, their offense alone will carry them for a game or two at a time. But this is not an Oilers team that's got what it takes to make a deep run. And I'm not saying they're there yet. We're, we're three games into round two. They looked good last night, but I don't want to put the, the carriage in front of the horse. But, man, that Oilers team last night was not something we've seen before. And like you said, this this line, this this group especially, this is not – what they're doing is special. And I, and I would have said, you know, if if there's any team in the West that's, that's well-built enough to to shut down a line like that and shut down players of that caliber, it would be the Flames. When you got Mark Simondat, when you got a coach, uh, Daryl Sutter, when you have that offense, the depth they have up front, the defense that they have, okay, these guys are equipped to to, to handle that challenge. And like, like I said, they'll steal a game or two, but that'll be it. But so far, it is it's looking like they can't keep up. They can't they can't compete with these guys. What do you think? Do, do we see more of this as the series goes on? You know, I yeah. Why not? What like what what evidence would suggest that Calgary has any way to combat this line? First of all, what Calgary needs to do, they need to stop matching up good Branson and Zadorov versus that line. They they can't skate with them. They can't keep up with them. I know they wanted to put the big bodies out there and try to physically intimidate them, lean on them, hit them. It's not working. It's not working at all. Zadorov is a good defenseman. He he skates well for his size. He can't keep up with them. He keeps getting caught out of position. He is trying to use his strength. McDavid is too powerful. You, you can't knock him off the puck. And if you do try to create contact with him, which McDavid wants – He's going to beat you up the ice. He's going to beat you to the net. He's too quick. It's not working. They have to match up Hannafin and Anderson with them. Even them, they're going to have a hard time with it. it. It's not working, whatever they're doing. And I don't think there's an answer for it. I think you just have to go all offense if you're Calgary. You have to go for it like you did in game one. And you just got to throw everything at the net. You have to control McDavid by making him play defense. And right now they're not doing it. It was it was it was too easy for him at times. He was just up and down the ice, two on ones, three on twos, three on ones, partial breakaways. Calgary is shooting themselves in the foot. They played bad last game, and then it comes back to the goaltender. I'm not saying Kane wasn't going to score those goals on everybody. I'm not saying things would have been different if if you don't have Markstrom in the net. But at what point do you start Vlader? At what point does Markstrom not get the net? In three games, all three games have been terrible. He hasn't shown – yes, he's made 21 saves in the first period of game three. He stunk in the second period. He stunk all of game two, and he stunk all of game one. At what point do you, do you make a change if you're Daryl Sutter? I do think Calgary will make some adjustments. adjustments. Will it be enough? That first line. It's an, I've, I've never seen a line in my 39 years on this earth I've never seen one line be able to dominate a series like that line's doing. They're the only line on Edmonton that scores him. That's it. The Nuge isn't putting up points. Hyman gets a goal. I didn't see the Nuge anywhere near him. That's the only, only line I've ever seen be able to dominate not only a series, but the first round as well. It's incredible what they're doing. Nobody has an answer for it yet. Daryl Sutter's a smart coach. They have a lot of good defensive players on that team. Wouldn't surprise me if they they do some kind of mixture of Coleman, Yonkark, and Mangiapani 
on a line, maybe switch up their lines a little bit and just focus, just lock down that line. And you have to switch something up because right now it's not working. Calgary looks out of sorts. They're chasing the puck. They're overextending themselves. The defenseman looks slow. It's boy. They need to have a pushback. I'm at a loss for words because I'm trying to sit here. I've been sitting here for all, all weekend trying to figure out how do you stop Edmonton? And this is crazy because we've talked about, they don't have any depth. They don't have any depth for years now. It's not, it's not mattering this year. They're too good. They're too good. That one line in this series so far, maybe things change. Maybe McDavid doesn't, you know, he cools off a, a tiny bit and they only score two goals a game instead of five. They're averaging five goals a game, Tim, this series five. It's a lot. Is there, is this series, is this still a series or is Edmonton have so much confidence Calgary's so out of sorts. What what happens in game four, Tim? What's going to happen? Well, that building was rocking last night. This is the first time it felt like the Edmonton felt like a legit playoff city where they've made it in recent years. Not recent in the last couple, but McDavid's been there before. But it was never never like this. And so what, what we're seeing in Edmonton is pretty cool. I'm, I'm happy for them. And I feel like, yeah, they're, they're pretty confident. They're, they're, why wouldn't they be? But uh, I am not counting this Flames team out. I just, I just can't. They're too good. They're, they're too well coached. They should be better than this. I could easily, couldn't you easily see them winning like four nothing on game four? You know, like it's maybe not four nothing. You get not four nothing. Not four nothing. They could <laughs> win five four. Yeah. Well, so I don't know. I think this team will be back. I, I don't think it's, it's close to a series yet. That said, if it does go three to one, are you ready to call it at that point? No, no, not at all. The, the thing with Edmonton is their feast or famine, and we saw it throughout the year. They could easily give up seven. Mike Smith had a, he had a good showing this weekend. He played well. He could he could revert back to the goal he was two years ago or the goal he was this year, where there was huge question marks surrounding him, huge question marks surrounding the defense. This series is far from over. Edmonton's playing good. Calgary will bounce back. I fully anticipate them to win game four, and then we got a three-game series. Now, is this if they do win tomorrow night, is it because of Luch changing the tone, going after Mike Smith like a crazed animal? a charging five-minute major. What did you think of this play? A, for do you think it was a five-minute penalty after watching the replay, after breaking it down? Is it a five-minute penalty? Yes. Okay. But, I disagree. I think it's a two. Yeah. I, I mean, okay. Here's – here's you, you break it down. You watch what Smith did. I think Lucic didn't have the intention of running him over. There's a couple, like, Smith turns his body twice. And yeah. so Lucic thinks he's going to go just wide of him, kind of like go against the boards, try to stop the puck. With and Smith turns again and right, yeah. So Lucic runs him over. But I think if you're if you're a forward, if you're a player, especially that size, you got to have better control of your awareness of your body, and and not set up yourself for a situation where you're taking a goalie out like that. It was also some argument to be made that Smith sold it a little bit. I don't know. I I think. No supplementary discipline in terms of suspension or fine or anything like that, but I was good with a five-minute major. And at that point, that was the game, too. There was only like 13 minutes left in the period, something like that. So yep. I was fine with that. It was 4 nothing. The ref was making an impact. He said, this isn't going to get out of hand. Gave him a five. It's a two-minute penalty. It's a two-minute goaltender interference penalty. He didn't charge him. It's not like he's ripping from center ice, full speed, burying this guy. That's what charging is. There was no intent to hurt him. Did he want to make contact with him? I do think he did. I think he wanted to, to ruffle the feathers of the Oilers. I think he wanted to start something. I, I tried to do that with Brodeur one time when I was at the Rangers. I'm like, I'm going to go out. We're losing. I'm going to bump Brodeur because no one would fight me. 
they had Eric Bolton, they had Ken Jamson, they had a couple of tough guys on New Jersey. And it was, you know, subway rivalry. And so I went, I'm like, I'm going to hit Broder. And I did. And I bumped into him, knocked him off his crease. He went down. Cam Jansen came over and we fought. And that was that. And I, and I think it was the same situation where Luch was like, I got to do something. I, 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 I've been useless the last two games. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to try to ruffle the feathers of the Oilers. And it did. It worked. Smith gets taken out of the game for the concussion protocol, which is, it's a, it's a necessary evil. What are you going to do? He obviously didn't want to go. He, his helmet went flying. He went down. He was holding his head. You have to do it if you're a spotter. Cause if you don't do that and he ends up with a concussion, then you get fired and sued and everything that goes along with it. I don't know. Uh, it is what it is. I think Sutter nailed it. And he's like, we're down for nothing. Luch is trying to, you know, forecheck the puck. If he wanted to charge him, he would have charged him. And it would have been a completely different result. Luch is a big boy. We saw him charge a goaltender. It was Ryan Miller five, six years ago. That's what charging looks like. He was going full speed. He windmills, helicopters, Millsy. Millsy gets a concussion. He's out for 20 games. I go to Buffalo, extends my career. Thank you, Milan Lucic. That's not what happened. I think it should have been two, but the ref's trying to keep things under wraps, keep the boys calm. But yeah, I don't think it moves the needle. Edmonton's not too concerned about that. I did notice after the, after the game, the coaches were commenting on Markstrom, how he struggled. Jay Woodcroft, coach of the Edmonton Oilers, Woody, friend of mine. He goes, you notice Mike Smith. He only played 28 games this year. He looks fresh. He looks quick. Markstrom played a lot of hockey. 58 games, I think he played. Just a slight little jab. Um, maybe he was backhanded. Maybe he wasn't thinking. Maybe it was a Freudian slip. But I think he was acknowledging the fact that maybe Calgary overplayed Markstrom this season. And he's looking a little slow. He's looking a little worn. He's not looking like the goalie he was in the first two months of the season. So I don't know. I like it, Woody. I like what you're throwing out in the atmosphere. I, I A little dig at Daryl Sutter and the Calgary Flames a little bit from the Edmonton Oilers coach. So good for him. Good for the Oilers making this a series after that first game where I thought, boy, they're just going to get blown out. But maybe I, I, I didn't give them enough props for coming back in that game one. Because the red flags were there for both teams. Edmonton seems to have corrected theirs, where Calgary is just out of sorts. Their defense looks bad. Their offense can't score. Mike Smith has played well, and Markstrom is just – he's their biggest issue right now in net. What do you do game four? You have to go back with Markstrom. He's your guy that got you there. But, boy, if he falters early, I'm, I'm giving him the hook early. I'm putting Vlader. And I'm going to ride him until the end of the playoffs because it's you, you, you have such a good team. They invested so much in this playoff run. They went out, they got to Foley, they got some other pieces. This is this is their year. If I'm the Calgary Flames, they got some UFAs after this season that it's going to cost a lot of money. They got to go for it, but we'll get to predictions later on. All right, another game, Tim. President's Trophy winner. Number one seed, averaged over four goals a game. They're just kidding. They look pedestrian, Tim. Talk to us about games two and three. Tampa Bay is just completely, as predicted, taken over this series by yours truly. It's going to be a sweep. What's going on? Are, are Tampa Bay just that strong, or is Florida just – they're not the team that we thought they were? Uh, there's a lot of things happening. From from most of the, the playoffs and certainly the first couple of games, the Panthers couldn't get anything going on the power play. They were like 0 for 25, oh. something like that. I don't think we've really talked about that. They did score a power play goal last night. Um, 
where they 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 went up early one nothing and then uh, sorry no the Perry went up Perry scored first and then they answered with a power play goal it's one one after one and you kind of feel like okay the Panthers are in it now um, maybe they'll make this a game it goes back you know two to one and it's a different series and then the Lightning went ahead and scored the next four goals and the final score was five to one and they just have no answer for it. it's just like I think it's part it's not effort, but there's a little things that the bolts are doing that are winning them games because they've been here before. And they know what it takes. And I think Brunette said it really well. Coach Andrew Brunette of the Panthers, he said the will they're blocking shots. We're not really, they're managing different situations. And I think we've managed that fine to be honest, but they've just got a little bit more will uh, when there's a loose puck, they're kind of out battling us and they want it a little bit more. And those are the kind of things like, how do you, how do you coach that? It's just, it's the desire. Right? It's just a little thing. That's like, it's almost in, in unquantifiable yet you know what it takes to win when you're there. And Florida doesn't have it. We, no. I talked about this before the series began. I said, there's a difference between playoff hockey and regular season hockey. And yes, Florida got a scare in the first round versus Washington. That was a huge red flag for me. They should have walked right through Washington. They should have walked right through them. Washington was the better team that series. And then you go up against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Are you kidding me? You think you're going to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning after getting a scare from Washington? Florida doesn't have it. That's why I said all season long, ah, something doesn't sit right with me with Florida and Carolina too, by the way. I'm not sold on Carolina just yet. For the amount of talent that these guys have, for the amount that they scored in the regular season, it's not translating into playoff hockey. Barkov looks bad. Giroux had a good first round. He's struggling this series. Verhage's not a playoff performer. Huberto, MVP candidate throughout the season. He's not doing anything. Sam Bennett, I don't mind his game. I think he's playing okay. But up and down the lineup, they don't have it, Tim. They don't have that guy. You know what I mean? They just don't have it. And then you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. You talk about depth. Who's the leading goal scorer in Tampa Bay, Tim, without looking at it? Who do you think? Uh, Stamkos. Ross Colton. Who is he tied with? Who is he tied with? Uh, Nick Paul. Corey Perry. A couple of <laughs> fourth line, third line guys. You know what I mean? Talk about depth. Then it goes Kucherov, Stamkos, Palat, Hedman, Paul. They, they, they have depth. Every player knows what it takes to win. They're getting in the lanes. They're a championship caliber team. And that's what it takes Earlier in the playoffs, their goaltenders struggled. They said, you know what, Vassy, we got you. We're going to lock down defensively. We're going to limit Toronto's scoring chances, and we're going to take care of you. And that's what they did. And they gutted out a first-round win. Now they're playing a Florida team that isn't as strong as Toronto. It's, it's obvious. Toronto was more gifted offensively. They were way more dangerous. They were deeper than Florida. And they're just having their way with them. This is a, this is a step down from the first-round series. I, I firmly believe in this whole playoffs, and I'm giving Toronto a lot of props here, the best two teams were Toronto and Tampa Bay, and they played in the first round. So far, just from watching all the playoffs, Colorado looks strong. The top two teams were Toronto and Tampa Bay based on what I've seen in the first two rounds. That was a heck of a matchup. Florida's getting handled. The Rangers and Carolina don't look as strong as those two teams. Out West, it's... We'll see how that shakes out. I'm still not sold on the Western teams, but boy, Tampa looks good. They're missing arguably their best player in Braden Point, and they're still dismantling the President's Trophy champions. And it's not, they're not even breaking a sweat. They're systematically doing it. 
at all facets, power play, penalty kill, five on five. It's not even close. Not even close. They're going to sweep this series and it's going to be done. And they're going to have a nice rest because the Canes and the Rangers are going to battle each other out to six or seven games. And then the Bolts are going to just be healthy, loaded in the Eastern Conference final. Could this be a three-peat, a dynasty? Gosh, it sure looks like it, Tim. It sure looks like it. The Bolts are going to run over whoever wins that other series, too. Like, they're not going to fare any better than the Panthers are, I don't think. Do you? Oh, boy. Maybe the Canes. I would like the Canes better than the Rangers in that series. but Well, I think both teams are going to be outmatched, but I do think they'll be better than Florida. Florida, just a, it's, not a, it's not a playoff team. I think they built themselves. They're fast. They're talented. They're this and that, but they just – it doesn't translate into the playoffs. So what are you going to do? I, I do think either of those teams are going to fare better than the Panthers are right now. Yes. So um, I did notice the Lightning dressed 11 forwards last night and seven defensemen. What are the reasons? I know you didn't talk to Cooper specifically, but when a team does that, what's what's the logic behind that? I don't know. I really don't know. I think, I think they trust their defensemen more than their forwards. And it's funny, when you do dress 11 forwards, that means you, you double shift your sentiment. And if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning, that's not a bad thing. You get to double shift your premium Sorelli, Nick Paul. Those guys are playing more minutes. Ross Colton. Those guys are young. They can play up and down the lineup and you just double shift them. So I don't know. It, it's nothing. They've done it all season long. They've done it the last few seasons. If they get an injury up front, they just dress seven defensemen. I don't know why there's no rhyme or reason. Most coaches don't like doing it. It's just, it's just one of those things Tampa Bay does. And then Sorelli plays more Nick Paul plays more and Colton plays more. Those guys are young. I don't mind it. Why, why would you do that than dress a fourth line forward who hasn't played in a series and a half and you give him three or four minutes because you don't trust him rather than throw Ron Jan Ruda in the lineup and give him seven minutes and give Victor Hedman a break or Ryan McDonough a break? I don't know. I, I think it, it's smart. And then you can throw Ruda versus the Florida's third and fourth line. And then you rotate those bottom three defensemen, Sergachev, Calfoot, Zach Bogosian, those guys rotate and you play versus the bottom t- two lines of Florida. It makes sense rather than trying to shield the fourth line of your own team. And then it kind of messes up Maroon and Belmar because then they're used to playing 10 or 11 minutes, but the coach isn't comfortable enough to put them out there with that centerman. And so then they get slighted a little bit. So it kind of makes sense a little bit if you're Cooper. I like it, but I, I don't think there's anything to read into it. It's just they don't trust their depth forwards. That's that's what it boils down to. They trust Ron, Jan Ruda to play more in the playoffs and whoever would jump in on the fourth line center role. So that's all. That's all, Tim. That's, a, that's what I was thinking. And whatever it was, it worked. So there, all right, one, there, one, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say they're playing again tonight. They which are is strange. They, they, they had a two day break and then they're playing on back to back nights, which I don't really love. There must've been a concert in Tampa Bay that was going on Saturday night. That's what it was. So they, they couldn't yeah. play Saturday at the Tampa Bay arena. So they bumped them to Sunday and then they want to get back to the two games, two games. So they're going back to back. So yeah, Florida will be done. They'll be golfing tomorrow morning. So it'd be great. There was one play of note, the Hagel cross check. What did you think of this? Got a little bit, you know, it's in the danger zone. They're five feet from the boards. Uh, the Florida player, I can't pronounce his last name, but I don't like mispronouncing last names. So I'm not even going to attempt it. He's on the four check. Hagel gives him a cross check. He goes in hard to the boards. What did you think of the play? Did it merit a five minute? I don't know. Break it down for me, Tim. I want to know your, your point of view. 
Yeah, dirty hit. Dirty hit. The player is kind of defenseless in that position, and he knows it. And I get, like, I don't know. It, it, it does happen so quick, and I don't think there was any intent to injure or anything like that. And a lot of times players, when the puck's in there in the corner, rather than going for the puck, they'll set themselves up to anticipate the hit. To kind of stay high and just absorb it rather than go down face first like he did. And he sort of didn't put himself in a good position there. But at the same time, Hagel, you got to take responsibility for that. So I thought it was a pretty dirty hit. I've watched this hit dozens of times. I've broken it down. Slow-mo. Frame by frame, Tim. Not a dirty hit. If you watch it, how do you pronounce that guy's last name? Lustahanen or whatever? Lutz, whatever. The Florida player. He doesn't know which way he's going, left or right. He's coming straight at the dump. He wants to go right. He wants to go left. And his foot toe picks. And because his foot toe picks, he goes into the boards. And Hagel, I don't think Hagel's pushing him. I think he just has his hands on his back. And because of that, it looks terrible. But then Lidstrahanen, he just goes barreling into the boards because he was indecisive. He's, he's forechecking the puck. He's getting, and he's like, do I go up the boards? Do I go behind the net? What do I do? What do I do? Wham. And he's flying into the boards. I don't think if Hagel even touches him, it changes what happens to the Florida player. So it's a good two minute call. I don't think there's any supplemental discipline. It just, the optics of it looked really bad because when you look at it, it was like my Louis Erickson hit. I cleanly bury Louis Erickson center ice. And because of my follow through, I was like, you hit him in the head with your elbow. Elbow uh, to the head. Elbow doesn't touch his head. Hagel, his stick could be there or not there. I don't think it impacts the play at all. The Florida guy just panicked. He didn't know where he was going and he just toe picks. And go back and watch it. He just toe picks. It's clear as day and he falls into the boards. Thankfully, he didn't go neck first and kill himself. And he, gets his head up and he pancakes himself into the sideboards. Great ad read for great clips though. Gets them some uh gets them some uh screen time and Jägermeister too. Remember Jägermeister? Did you ever take that when you were a kid? That was like the shot to choice in high school in early I missed, college. No, I missed that that phase when it was popular. I wasn't drinking yet. Oh man, I was like thought I was so cool. It's good Jäger is the worst. It's just the worst taste I've ever tasted. It so, smells so bad. It's so good when it's chilled. It's like no it's not. It's terrible. Mix it with Jaeger bomb. Like, uh, I did it. I did it. <laughs> terrible, terrible decision out of me. When I go back, I would have just smacked myself. Come on, man. Just get a beer and be done with it. All right. Moving on. Speaking of beers, you can get beers from DoorDash, Tim. Did you know that? I did not know that. You can. You can use DoorDash to go to the gas station, pick you up a six Labatt Blue Light. Keep it classy. Labatt Blue Light. We got to get them as a sponsor. But for now, we're just doing DoorDash. So use DoorDash. Use our promo code GlovesDD. If you're in Canada, Gloves DDUS. If you're in the US of A, get 25% off, free delivery. They can go to the gas station for you. I guarantee they might even get you some gas. Tell them to give me a jerry can of gas. That would be something. If you can do that, let me know. That's interesting. But other than that, they do food. They do the drinks. They do everything. They get you your food. It's delicious. It's fantastic. It's DoorDash. They're a great company. And they give us a little bit of Dore me to read this ad. So use them. It helps us out. Promo code GlovesDDUS if you're in the US of A. GlovesDD if you're in Canada. DoorDash. All right, Tim. Canes and Rangers. This is a, this is a series that you're keeping close tabs on. You like Carolina. You live yep. in their state. What's been going on with this series? Carolina goes up to rip. Rangers with a must-win game in game three. They come back at home. They win game three. Break it down for us again, just like the Florida Tampa Bay game. Then I'll jump in and you won't be able to talk for 10 minutes. 
Just tell me all the things that I said that were wrong. Rangers <laughs> yeah. won this game. Rangers won this game three to one. It was a closer in empty net goal at the end of the game. It started off with a soft goal, another soft goal from Shesterkin. Did you see that? I want it with a Chocek, the backhand. Yeah, goal. not good. It's tuckled again under right under the arm of chicken wing. And he's got to figure that out because at some point this is going to, this is going to come back and bite him in the ass. And this is, they managed to win this game, um, which is interesting because Carolina is now six and zero at home and zero and four on the road. So Taylor, two different teams, and that's going to be a problem they need to resolve quickly. And I think they don't want to be, you know, they feel good about playing back home, but they don't want to go from being up two nothing to having the series tied up at two after tomorrow night. That's it. That's all you got. What do you want? You're not going to talk about Gallant and Delangelo and that whole shenanigans at the end oh. of the game. Max Domi going after Lindgren. I know this. Is I didn't know you series. want me to cover the entire game. Well, let's you get into it. It's like okay, going? the Rangers played well. Other than that, Shesterkin played great. I, I I know he led in that first weekend. Week one after that, he was he was on his game. He played very well. He was the reason they won this game. The Canes were the better team, I think, overall, start to finish. Shesterkin lights up. I think that's a good sign if you're a Rangers fan. He was on his game. Canes looked good. But like you said, they can't win on the road. Why? Why? I don't, I don't know why. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason. They're a good team. The Bruins had their number on the road, and now the Rangers take game one in Madison Square Garden. I don't know why. Let's get to the real nitty-gritty of this, the, the hatred that's developing between these two teams. There's obviously history there. Delangelo with the New York Rangers doesn't work out, has some issues with Gorgiev calls him a chump, tells him he should just stop the puck and stop worrying about stuff. Delangelo gets kicked off the team, gets picked up by the Carolina Hurricanes, has an all-star caliber season, makes everyone forget about Dougie Hamilton, anchoring their power play. Good player, very good player. Gets in it with Gerard Gallant at the end of the game. Max Stomi cross-checks Lindgren right at the end of the game, gives him a little, gives him the business. Lindgren turns around, two hands, Maxi Domi. I don't mind that. I think that's playoff hockey. I think you play right to the buzzer. You're going to see these guys potentially four more times. Why not cross-check them in the ribs? Go for it. What's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to get a $5,000 fine? Max Domi wipes his bum with a $5,000 fine. That's nothing to him. He's got Ty Domi-type money. He doesn't care about a fine. If I'm Maxi, I'm trying to break his ribs every chance I can at the buzzer. Go for it. It's a free-for-all. What I don't understand is why is Gallant so upset at all? I want to know what Delangelo said. I want to know what he's talking to Gallant about. Because Gallant's like, he's fired up. He's threatening Ryan Reeves on everybody. If they want to play that game, we got the guy who can play that game. He's got, I got the biggest scale, this and that. It's a bad look for Gallant, in my opinion. He's getting all riled up by this little defenseman just chirping him. I think, I think Delangelo comes out looking great. He's got Gallant right where he wants him. He's in his kitchen. He's all fired up about him. If he sends Reeves after him next game, to take a minor, it's a win for Carolina. I don't know. I, I'm on Delangelo's side here. I think Gallant looks stupid. I think the Rangers are overreacting over just an innoc- innocuous, 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 innocent looking play. It's just a cross check at the end of the game. Who cares? You know, move on with it. it. It's not a big deal. Lindgren overreacts. He slashes them. He wrestles them down. They bear hug. Rangers fans love that. And then Gallant just blows his lid and goes crazy for no reason whatsoever, like a psycho chirping at Delangelo. All right, what what do you think about this, Tim? Let's get this is the real this is the real thing to talk about. Like this, this is what everyone's talking about. 
Well, they said on the broadcast that Gallant, when he was a player, was a kind of a hothead and he was a, a fiery, emotional guy. So it's not totally out of character for him, but he's a head coach now. And so this is not something we see from him, you know, often in, in from this position. And it makes me wonder, like, what, what could D'Angelo possibly have said that had gotten that kind of reaction? Right. You know what I mean? Like, at first I thought he was, because they didn't tell, they didn't show at first who he was yelling at. I thought he was yelling at the other coach, at Brindamore, for like, for his guys going after the other guys at the end of the game, the buzzer, the game's four, four, three to one, whatever. And uh, no, it was a player. It was D'Angelo. And D'Angelo's a very hateable guy. Like, I get it. He's a, he's a great villain. But what could he have said that got that level of response from Gallant? I just, well, he knows I the inner workings. He knows the inner workings of the Rangers. So it was something personal. It was something that hit home that when Gallant heard it, he just went Red Ross. And he's like, you son of a... And he just lost it. And he's like, quit your chirping. It, it was great. I loved every second of it. Glance just coaches when they lose their cool and they get like that. It's so great. Cause usually they're composed. You see them behind the bench and they're fuming. They might throw the gum every once in a while. They might throw some, you know, F bombs here and there, but when they lose it and they start attacking another player, it's so great. I got into Randy Carlisle skin a couple times and I loved every minute of it as a player, like he's chirping me, the coach. He's not worried about his team. He's not worried about the game plan. He's not worried about talking to the refs. He has totally lost it. Not worried about the game whatsoever. He's fully just focused on me. And I'm like, what are you doing, bro? I'm a fourth line guy who doesn't play at all. And this is the regular, this is the preseason. And that's what the land, the game's over and Gallant's losing his mind. They just won. He should be happy. He should be worried about what's happening with Domi and Lindgren and all these things, talking to the ref, totally out of his game. Yeah, Delangelo is going into the locker room. He's loving every second of it. And he's going to be in his kitchen tomorrow night, too, when they play. The first thing I would do if I was Delangelo, I would skate by the Rangers bench, bench and I go, hey, Gerard, what's up, man? You're looking fat tonight. And then just keep <laughs> skating. And then it, he would be in his kitchen all game. And Delang- if I'm Tony, I'm doing that. Because why not? This is a playoffs, man. Like, if you can get in the coach's head and get him just to think about it and, like, get him – on the, like, I want retribution. I want revenge. I'm going to get Ryan Reeves out to get you and match line just to get you. That's a win for Carolina. I don't know. Gallant needs to cool it. Cool the Jets because the Rangers, they looked good. Shusterskin looked good. They, they're they slowly getting their game. The first two games, I don't think they played well. Carolina was good this past These are even evenly matched teams, Tim. It's hard to handcuff this, this series. It's just... They're two good teams going at it. Lafreniere looked a little, I don't know. Who's going to win game four? We'll get to that in a second, but let's recap the last game. Again, more controversy in this series. Every series has tidbits, whether it's Lucic, whether it's Delangelo, whether it's Hagel cross-checking. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then there's the last series, Blues Avalanche. If, if you were to predict one player from this series that there would be controversy surrounding, who would it be? I would assume it would be Kadri, and I would also assume that Bennington would be involved. The two psychopaths from each team, the two hotheads, and you'd be absolutely right. So let's just break down the game. The Avs win 5-2 to two on Saturday. It was a pretty close game. It was, a, it was a back and forth game until the incident, Tim. What happened? What happened to cause all of this kerfuffle, water bottles being thrown, accusations, Baruby jumping in on the issue, What's going on? Why is everybody so upset? Yeah, Bennington played the puck and he was in his own crease. And all of a sudden, 
depends on who you ask, but he got there was a term that was used, but like rampaged, run over by Kadri and one of the defensemen. And this one, I actually feel pretty strong that this should not have even really been a penalty. If you watch the overhead cam, Kadri is skating across the crease in a different direction. He doesn't switch direction until the Blues defenseman comes into him, and all of a sudden he, he crashes into Bennington. But Kadri didn't drive straight at the net. He wasn't going at Bennington. He's redirected at the top of the crease last second into Bennington because of that defenseman. And, you know, similar to Lucic, maybe you'd be a little bit more aware, maybe a little bit more careful around the net with the goalie there. But he was playing the puck, and uh, Bennington went down. He's hurt. He's out for at least the rest of the series, and people in St. Louis are calling for Kadri's head. Rightfully so. Um, the thing with Luch, Luch slows down, you know, and Mike Smith changes his position a couple times, and so he makes it a little unpredictable. Bennington's in the crease. He doesn't move. He, he's at the top of the circle to his right, our left, if we're staring at the goalie. And Kadri's coming flying in. Yes, Rosen pushes him into him, and they collide. It's such a tricky situation because, yes. Have you seen – you see the overhead view, though? I, yes, I have. Yeah. I think it's pretty clear he wasn't skating into Bennington. No, but he does change his direction after the shot, and he chases the rebound. So, he's, he, yeah, he's, he's skating up – He's thinking the avalanche player is going to drop the puck to him potentially, but then he shoots it. He goes for the rebound and he skates towards the rebound. Rosen hits him and he falls into Bennington. You know, it's tough. As much as I hate Kadri, I like the way he plays. I don't think it's a penalty either. It's such a tough thing. His reputation gets him in trouble just because he has a history of this. He has a knack for just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's a hockey play. Bennington's playing out on his crease. He's at the top of the top of his crease. Cadre's forechecking. It's the playoffs. It's a one nothing game. St. Louis is winning. Bennington goes out. He's out for the series. How does this impact the series, Tim? Billy Hustle comes in, plays terrible. Colorado wins the game five to two. Can you kiss St. Louis to bed? Is this it? Are we? Are we? Did Hustle have enough time off? Do you think to shake whatever was wrong with his game off, or is it just? It's a tough break for St. Louis, is it not? It is, but Hustle's a good goaltender. He looked good at, at, at points during the series in Minnesota, too. And I think he there's a reason that he had a lot of starts in the regular season. He's a good goalie, and I think it's tough coming into a, a relief role, especially against a team like the Avs. But I would think he settled down knowing that he's going to start the next bunch of games here. I think it changes your mindset a little bit, hopefully gives him a little bit more confidence. And the Blues are a good team. You know, they, they outplayed pretty strongly the the um, the Avs in game two. So I think I think we could easily see that again. I don't think it's a matter of, uh, you know, Bennington being out and so the Blues don't really have a shot anymore. I think I think we still see this this go six or seven games. Yeah, I agree. I think St. Louis does have a pushback. Hustle is better than Bennington in the regular season. Bennington's been playing well, but yeah, it's just too bad. Bennington was playing great. He was lights out. He's been good even when they lost last game. He was good. Yeah, I think the series is over. I don't think you come back from this. I think Colorado's on a roll. They're playing well. They're the better team overall. What did you think of the water bottle incident? Cottery's doing an interview <laughs> with TNT after the fact. He looks over. He goes, what was that? And he's like, a water bottle. He confirms Bennington. Bennington's a cycle. Is he not? He's hurt. He's out. He should be on the trainer's table getting taken care of or going to the hospital, getting, getting a pitcher done on his leg. What is he doing? He, he, he sees Cottery and he just makes his way over there and throws. What's the end game there? You hit Cottery with a water bottle and you get suspended or fined or you go to jail for an assault with a deadly weapon, it, 
is what's going on? Is Bennington, he has no chill. He's just losing his mind out there, throwing water <laughs> bottles at everybody, like a Conor McGregor at a press conference. There's no end game. He's a, he's a psychopath. He's a maniac. And when he gets his wires crossed, there's no talking sense into him. And so, and part of that is what makes him such a good competitor and a good goal. You have to have a little bit of a crazy side to be a goaltender, especially in the NHL. But that guy, think about like, it's not like he was walking by and he saw Kadri and they said something or threw something at him. Like he probably went out of his way, grabbed the weapon in a water bottle and like made a decision. How many decisions did he make to get to that point where he threw a water bottle at Kadri? <laughs> yeah. A live press conference. It wasn't like an impulsive thing, you know, it's just crazy. He's a crazy man. He is. Sorry. I think the, the bigger story behind this game is the injury. Samuel Gerard out for the series. How does this season. impact? Out for the season. season, just series season, same thing, potato, potato. How does this impact this Avalanche team? Because now he, he's a power play guy. He does a lot for this team. You, you got a puck-moving, skilled defenseman leaving the team, and you're bringing in a slow, methodical, plodding Eric Johnson, whose best years are behind him. This, to me, is, is bigger than Bennington being gone. If Colorado has any chance, and they do, of winning a Stanley Cup, I think this injury is, will impact them way more than a Vili Husso for the St. Louis Blues. It, am I over-exaggerating this? Because I feel like Samuel Gerrard has played excellent in this playoff so far to date. What do we expect from an Eric Johnson, and how does this, this change their makeup? Because he, he was a big contributor on this team. He's a good player. Um, he's an important part of that team, but I think this doesn't impact them very much at all. Because they're going to get their point. They're going to score their goals. They have an excellent offense. And Devin Tays and Kale McCarr are more than capable of running the power plays. I don't think this is going to have a huge impact on them. Um, not that they don't want him back. And they're, they're a better team with him, certainly. And I think this is going to, you know, you, you'll see a few more minutes out of their other defense. But I can't see Eric Johnson logging more than, what, 9 to 12 on a good game. So um, he's, I think it, that's that's something we'll see where the Tays and, and um Who's the other guy they added at the deadline? Manson. Manson. Um, yeah, they'll they'll play a little bit more, but I don't think it's going to have a big impact on them. They'll, they'll they'll be fine. Their offense will be fine. Eric Johnson's he's fine. He's serviceable. Just ask him not to make any mistakes out there. You don't need much more than, from him than that. So I think they'll be fine. Yeah, it's it's a big hole to fill. You know, he plays eighteen minutes a game, and I, I don't think you can replace that, especially with an Eric Johnson. It puts a bigger toll on Kale McCarr and Devin Taves. They're young. Yeah. Maybe they'll make up the room a little bit, but it, it does it does ting a little bit. So we'll see how they we'll watch that. I think they'll get by St. Louis, but that's big. That's a that's a big deal in my mind. I think that that's something that might not be their ultimate downfall, but it's something to, to watch for. All right, what else are we doing, Tim? Here we're making our picks for tonight. Yeah, we are we two, two games, games back at it. I love it. What are we doing? There could uh, be a sweep tonight, Tim. Yeah, I think we see it. I've seen nothing from Florida that makes me think otherwise. And I think at this point, they know they they can't win this series. There's no way you win four straight against Tampa Bay when they have a chance to clean it out. So, yeah, I think think this is done. I think it ends tonight. Just based on their head coach's comments, Andrew Burnett, we called him Kitty. He's not even bullish on his team. He's like, "We're, we're in a tough spot. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Tampa Bay is a pretty good team, and we're playing pretty crummy. So I think they know the writing's on the wall. Lightning are going to win this game. It's going to be over. It was a good season for the Panthers. It was cute. 
they, they were a good offensive team, but it just goes to show you what really wins hockey games in the playoffs. It's not the flash. It's not the bang. It's not the this and that. You have to be good. You have to be, and unless you have a world-class talent like Connor McDavid, who's just, I'm going to start waxing poetically about him again. He's Every time I think about him, I'm like, gosh, is he good. He's so incredibly good. <laughs> he is. Yeah. And Drine Tunnel's not at 100%. He's got a high ankle sprain. Even, even he's not carrying him. Oh, he's so incredibly good. But yes, Lightning, I'm going to take them. Avalanche Blues. Game four. In St. Louis. This is a must win for St. Louis. Who wins this game, Tim? I think St. Louis does win this game. And they come back and tie it. I think they, they want to make this a series, and I think they will. The big question mark, like we talked about, is, is who so, what he gives you in net. But I do like the chances to even up, especially at home. I agree. I like myself. So Ryan O'Reilly, and now Colorado will win, but I'm going to pick St. Louis. Colorado looks good. It's funny, the teams in the West. Edmonton looks great. Colorado looks great. Calgary looks garbage. So, all right, I'm, I'm going to take – I want to take Colorado so bad, but I want the St. Louis Blues to win because I want it to be a 2-2 series. Yeah, I'm going to take the Blues. I think Ryan O'Reilly wills them to a win. I think they're going to lock it down defensively. Husso saves the pucks. He needs to save. And that's my lock of the week, gentlemen. And, ladies, we do have female fans. I saw a nice tweet from somebody. What was her Twitter handle, Tim? I can't remember. It was – um. Molly, shout out to Molly. She's been shout out to, to Molly. Show. She, uh, my biggest fan. I, I truly firmly believe that. Let me get her Twitter handle real quick. Yeah, it was a nice little uh tweet she sent to the show. It was a picture of her as a young gal, and then it showed a picture of her now wearing one of the dropping the glove sweatshirts, which you can get nowhere because we don't have a website anymore. Because I hated, I despised my website's name. It was also, what was it? John Scott, all-star.com. And I was like, I don't, I don't like this. It's very narcissistic of me. Yes. Molly Twitter handle, very unique Twitter handle, Molly MM six, one, five, one, three, three, one, zero. So if you want to drop her a follow, go for it. Thank you, Molly. Biggest fan. I appreciate the support. Everybody else have a good night. We'll get you later on Wednesday after a couple potentially season ending games coming up. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.